tragedy involving a toddler. A three-year-old is killed while playing mini-golf with her family, and a falling boulder is being blamed. Plus... When my kids come home, uh, he's crying. I'm crying. Day of demonstration. What protesters in Vancouver raising awareness on Afghanistan's crisis are calling for as Ottawa ends evacuations. And... We need to make school safer for all the kids, um, kindergarten to grade 12. The stricter COVID-19 protocols parents and teachers rallying in Surrey want implemented right across BC. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with a tragedy on Vancouver Island. A family outing at Mount Washington has ended in the death of a little girl. The mini golf course at Mount Washington is closed after a three-year-old was hit by a rock as she was playing miniature golf with her brother and parents. A statement from the resort says the rock dislodged from above and hit the toddler, rendering her unconscious. Despite help from first responders, the child died. The BC Coroner Service and RCMP are both investigating. A statement from the general manager of Mount Washington Alpine Resort says, this is such a sad tragedy. The team at Mount Washington extends our sincerest condolences to the family and friends of this little girl. It is just devastating and our hearts break for them. To another community in mourning now. A 16-year-old boy was laid to rest today, a week after he was one of three teenagers killed in a Surrey crash. Julia Foy has more on the impact of the shocking and sudden passing of Ronan Sharma. Ronan was the type of kid who would light up a room as soon as he walked in. He always had this dumb little smile on his face, that smirk that brought laughter and joy to everyone. Family and friends of 16-year-old Ronan Sharma came to say goodbye as the first of three funerals began. It's unfair they took you away from our family and our circle, but as they say, you're in a better place now, and heaven gained an angel. Sharma died in a car crash August 21st, along with 17-year-old Parker Magnuson and 16-year-old Caleb Reimer. For the past week, dozens of mourners have dropped off hockey sticks and bouquets at the scene of the accident. One expert says it's an important part of the grieving process. To really come to terms with the fact that it has happened and to feel somewhat joined with those who have passed as though you are in their presence when you are on the scene of that tragedy. First responders say they're heartbroken over the loss of the three young men. We hope that uh, they feel the support from everyone in the community, not only from their local police, but we've seen a tremendous outpouring from the community, both at the scene of the collision and at schools and hockey rinks across our city. As students prepare to return to school in a few weeks, LaPointe says those who knew Parker, Ronan and Caleb will need support. Grief is a process that's the biggest part, and it shows up in a unique way in every single one of us. There's no right or wrong way to do this, simply that it needs to be done. So lean into the process and know that there is hopefulness in some way on the horizon. I've seen it. I never knew how much you looked up to me, and now I'm sitting here looking up at you. Keep sniping, bro. I know you'll always be watching over us. I love you, and may you rest easy. I'm so glad I got one last kiss and hug from you. May you rest in peace, my baby brother. 
Julia Foy, Global News. Now to the crisis in Afghanistan and the growing outrage and fears after the country fell to the Taliban and the Canadian evacuation mission ended on Thursday, prompting many people around the world to hold protests today. That includes hundreds in Vancouver. Kamal Karmali begins our coverage. Among all the chanting and cries for help, there's also a feeling of breathlessness. Afghan Canadians, dozens of them here at the Vancouver Art Gallery to make sure the rest of the country knows people back home are suffering. Nearly every single person here has a story. Every person has someone in Afghanistan who's in danger. All lives in, in Afghanistan are in danger right now. This man who didn't want to use his real name says one of his brothers is an interpreter for the U.S. military. He got out alive, but the rest of his family back home under constant threat because of his brother's affiliation. If the Taliban find out to a part of my family as a translator with U.S. Army, for sure they're going to come in behind the, my other brothers, another family, and they're not going to leave him alive. Then there's the Sarhadi family. Nearly every one of their relatives is back home. When my kids come home, uh, he's crying, I'm crying. This big family feeling lucky they are here alive and well, but a sense of hopelessness, knowing all they can do is watch, wait, listen and pray. All of them has been reaching out to us and tell, asking if there's any program that we can help them get out of the country. Perhaps one of the most heroic stories belongs to Friba Rizayi. She made history, becoming the first Afghan woman to take part in the Olympics in 2004. I did not win, but history was made. She has seen the rise, the fall, and now the resurgence of the Taliban. It's devastating. It's also heartbreaking. As I'm also very, very angry because that's 20 years of our lives. Afghan women had so much achievement, so much gains. Now her fellow Afghan female athletes are under threat of punishment, possibly death. She's been working tirelessly with the United States to get them out or get them to safety. It's extremely difficult. So the rest of the judo team is still in Afghanistan and we're trying to get them out as soon as we can. So many faces, just as many stories. But one clear message to the Canadian government, bring in more Afghan refugees, as many as we can. I am asking the Canadian government and need be, I will beg them. Kamal Karamali, Global News. A similar scene at Calgary City Hall, where people rallied to bring awareness to the plight of Afghanistan. The peaceful protest was organized by YYC for Afghans, a student-run nonprofit. We should not forget that there are more than 30 million Afghans still back home, and their lives are not safe. Um, so we, we, we request the Canadian government to increase supports to organizations that are working for Afghanistan, especially organizations that are working for women's rights in Afghanistan. Akbari has family in Afghanistan and says they're running out of resources with most stores now closed. Hundreds were at Nathan Phillips Square in downtown Toronto this afternoon, joining other Canadians across the country, showing support for those left behind in Afghanistan. In social media posts, organizers asked the federal government to hold the Taliban accountable for what they say constitutes as war crimes and genocide. This comes days after the federal government announced it would be putting an end to its evacuation mission. 
In Afghanistan, the Pentagon says an overnight U.S. drone strike has killed two members of the Afghan affiliate of the so-called Islamic State group. A response to Thursday's bombing outside Kabul airport that killed more than 180 people. And the Biden administration is not ruling out more retaliation. With just hours left in the evacuation process, some left behind by the Canadian operation are in hiding and pleading for a way to get out of Afghanistan. Redmond Shannon has that part of the story. The last days are turning into the last hours of a 20-year mission. The mostly U.S. evacuations from Kabul airport continue as the U.K. and France end their operations Saturday. Outside the perimeter, more panic and confusion amid warnings of a new security threat. This time, the gunfire and tear gas was just to disperse crowds. Area at the airport. In Washington, details on the retaliation for Thursday's horrific bombing outside the airport. A drone strike killing what the Pentagon says were two members of ISIS Khorasan. They were ISIS-K planners and facilitators. Uh, and that's enough reason they're alone. The threat of ISIS-K adds to the jeopardy faced by Western citizens and Afghans left behind. Global News spoke to a Canadian Forces interpreter who is in a safe house in Kabul, his family of six in one room. We were Canadian task force or special forces interpreters and workers and all my colleagues. All of them are left behind. This is unfair. This is unfair. It makes me cry. He and his family had been standing where the bomb went off just a day before the explosion. He told us he knows of another 30 families in hiding in Kabul following the end of Canada's evacuations. To go to, to Kandahar, in Kandahar they will kill us. To go to Pakistan, all the borders are blocked. Nothing we can do. We don't know our life, what is going on, where our life is going on. I will try my best to get to Pakistan. And uh, I pray to God... Uh, to get Pakistan in a safe situation. None of them are sure what comes next. All are pleading to Ottawa for help. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. Back here in BC, a group of parents rallied in Surrey this afternoon, demonstrating over their concerns that COVID-19 safety plans when kids and teachers return to class next month don't go far enough. As Amadagahi reports, they're calling for the mask mandate to be for all students from kindergarten to grade 12. Well, you turn this around first. At four years old, it's almost like learning to tie your shoe. And then you hurry to wear like this. They put their masks on without even being asked. I don't want to get COVID. <laughs> Saturday, dozens rallied at Surrey's Holland Park to protest BC's back-to-school plan, mainly a decision by the province to recommend and not require kids younger than grade four to wear masks at school. We know that there are challenges for young people in wearing masks and our approach will continue to be that supportive, positive, mask-encouraging environment in, with the younger students. And despite the province spending what it says will be $77.5 million on improving ventilation inside the classrooms, those here do not think that will be enough to keep children safe. Most of the kids in grade 2 didn't wear a mask. She was in a 2-1, so there was only five kids that wore them. They sit nine to a table, 
no distance. The shared opinion at the rally is that BC should follow Ontario's school mask mandate in children from grade 1 to 12, especially due to the fact that students under 12 years old aren't eligible for a vaccination. I feel like uh, with my windows open and those sorts of things, I can help enough with myself feeling safe. What I worry about is my students because um, all the way up to grade 6, they are not vaccinated yet. But the province continues to urge the best way to keep these students safe is for everyone eligible around them to be vaccinated. We're not in the same place now that we were heading into the last school year. Uh, we have uh, vaccines and we have very high uptake um, in our in school setting. Still, for some parents and young children with vulnerable family members... We have anxiety about the thought of them getting sick. It already feels like another year of uncertainty. Weeks before the first bell. Emadagahi, Global News. On the B.C. wildfire fight, a planned 3,000-hectare ignition on the White Rock Lake wildfire has been delayed, but the good news is it's been delayed by rain. Rain in the Fintry area as well as the Six Mile Creek area made conditions unfavorable for the controlled burns. Yesterday, the local fire department in Spalamchine placed large blue water containers around the community in preparation for the ignition. Each container holds 21,000 gallons of water and can be used by structural protection crews if necessary. There's no word if or when the controlled burn might go ahead. Additional Canadian Forces resources are being assigned to the fire to assist with patrol efforts along the west and north flanks of the fire. And crews are now battling a new blaze six kilometers southwest of Penticton. The Skahawk Creek wildfire has grown to six hectares and is classified as out of control. 23 firefighters from the wildfire service are on the ground. Multiple skimmers and air tankers are making good progress in cooling off the fire. So far, the fire is not threatening any structures and it's believed to be human caused. To Lumbee now, where the fire chief is expressing concern after yet another fire was sparked in that community this week. Thursday's brush fire was put out, but it's the latest in a series of suspicious blazes all near one neighborhood over the last year. Megan Turcato has more. It's still very concerning. Lumbee firefighters were dispatched to yet another wildfire near Cedar Ridge Street at around 5 p.m. on Thursday evening. Because of where it was, it was hard to get at. We could only get our truck within 1,000 feet of the actual fire, so we could lay out 1,000 feet of hose line uphill. When the fire chief arrived, he found open flames and a small 5-meter by 10-meter fire burning in the trees above the residential area. He estimates the blaze was about 500 meters from the nearest house. We are classifying it as suspicious. There was no lightning in the area. Uh, there was no other source of ignition anywhere near it. Seeing the smoke Thursday had Ted DeMars on edge. His backyard backs onto the forested hillside where the fire was burning, leaving his house and neighborhood vulnerable if the fire spread. It was scary. Like, uh, there's not much we could do. We, like, we, we you know, packed a couple of emergency boxes to throw in the vehicles in case, uh, you know, we got warned. But we didn't get warned.
Thursday's incident is only the latest in a string of blazes that have sparked near Cedar Ridge Street in the last year. In July, the RCMP announced it was conducting an in-depth investigation into a series of suspicious fires in that area. At that point, their preliminary findings suggested the fires were deliberately set. Just be on the lookout if anybody sees anybody acting suspicious coming down from that area. Uh, you know, if they see a fire and somebody's coming out of that area, just take note of if you know who they are, great, what color of the clothing we wear, any, any little tip will help us. Some living in the area now just hoping for a resolution so they can stop worrying about when the next fire might spark. It's just getting out of hand, you know, like we would love it to end. Like it's, it's family around here, like we have kids around here that's just going nuts when we see the fire department up here. <laughs> Megan Tricato, Global News, Lumbee. After the break, a rare consideration in the courtroom. In uh, the almost 40 years that I've been practicing law, it has happened once. Why a judge is looking at a higher sentence than Crown is suggesting in a fatal hit-and-run case on Vancouver Island. Plus... I didn't expect that we would have somebody uh, this early in the morning that was impaired. Mounties crack down on impaired driving and boating safety in Richmond. Their message and who they turned away from the water. Next. On Vancouver Island, the facts of a fatal hit-and-run case are so egregious that the judge is considering imposing a tougher sentence than the one Crown is asking for. As Kristen Robinson reports, court heard the driver, who is now extremely remorseful and attending alcohol treatment, instantly killed a pedestrian and then deliberately misled police. It's been a horrific day. On the two-year anniversary of Spencer Alexander Moore's death, his family forced to relive the details in court. Ryan Grobe has pleaded guilty to impaired driving causing death. Defense says he takes full responsibility, admitting he was highly intoxicated on August 24, 2019, after a night of drinking. Grobe drove home from a local pub and didn't immediately remember hitting Moore, who was struck in the middle of Hearst Avenue in Parksville. When Grobe awoke, his truck was gone. When he realized it had been impounded, he told police it was stolen. It was painstaking to have, have this happen on this date. Defense is asking for up to four years plus a six-year driving ban. Crown wants six years and a ten-year driving ban, noting Grobe's lengthy driving history. The judge hinting she may consider eight years. This is a very difficult decision. It is rare that I might go higher than what Crown has submitted, but this might be one of those cases. There are a few aggravating factors, like speeding and lying to cover it up. Judges can, in rare circumstances, impose a higher sentence. Criminal lawyer Ravi Hira, who is not connected to this case, says judges don't often deviate and need to be careful when they do, since they don't know the difficulties Crown may have in proving certain cases. They also don't know the negotiations that Crown and defense have entered into to garner a guilty plea and thus save court time and uh, the uh, anguish of victims having to go through the testimony. Moore's loved ones say they're already serving a life sentence. Jessica Wallace Moore telling the court, Grobe showed his character by not turning himself in right away. I have shown mine by being decent to someone who chose to get into a killing machine while fully intoxicated. My feelings don't match 
what this, the justice system allows. Sentencing submissions for Grobe continue next month. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A Surrey business took an unexpected hit today. The guy just backed in. He was backing up. Wait, backed in? Yeah. Backing up, he just kept backing. But we've been too far. The driver of a Mustang ended up backing into the coin laundry in the strip mall at 152nd Street and 68th Avenue. The laundromat owners say the driver was already parked and about to drive away when he put his car in reverse instead. He was taken into custody by RCMP and the Mustang was towed from the scene. Surrey RCMP have not provided any details on the incident. Two climbers stuck on the Stawamish Chief are now safe. Squamish search and rescue crews say the call came in late Friday night. Two climbers were hiking up the upper Black Dyke Trail when daylight started fading fast and the pair found themselves stuck. Teams conducted a technical rope rescue, pulling the two climbers up to the top of the mountain, then hiking them back to safety. You got close to getting to the top and then you just ran out of daylight is what happened, didn't it? Yeah, and uncharged uh, headlamps. Yeah, pretty avoidable stuff. This happens uh, fairly frequently. We do have uh, a lot of accidents and uh, stranded climbers for sure. Um, And so, yeah, we we do come out to do this on a regular basis. Richmond RCMP and ICBC are once again teaming up to increase awareness about safety on the water. Boaters launching at McDonald Beach this morning were greeted by officers conducting counterattack road checks. ICBC says on average 17 people are killed and 750 injured in impaired driving crashes in the Lower Mainland every year. The campaign allows police to provide education and enforcement, and it didn't take them long to catch a potential impaired boater. I didn't expect that we would have somebody uh, this early in the morning that was impaired, Um, and it you know, it was definitely a surprise. I'm just glad that we were able to to catch it. Uh, you know, the individual wasn't driving uh, the motor vehicle, but uh, they were honest and said that they'd be the primary operator of that vessel and the boat when they're out on the river. And we're just glad that we stopped them. Over the summer months is something we see a lot more of with the impaired related crashes. We have over 40% impaired related crashes throughout the summer months. So that's uh, June, July, August and into September. Coming up, Party Promises, the latest from the federal election campaign trail as leaders condemn angry protesters after one of them was forced to cancel an event amid safety concerns. Plus, Hurricane Ida approaching. The Gulf Coast braces for a Sunday arrival of the strengthening storm. A quieter day on the campaign trail on Saturday after a crowd of aggressive protesters last night forced Liberal leader Justin Trudeau to cancel an event. As Miranda Anthissel explains, the demonstrations themselves are becoming an election issue. Angry protesters greeted Liberal leader Justin Trudeau along the campaign trail on Friday. By the fourth stop, security concerns forced the party to cancel its rally. I've never seen this intensity of anger on the campaign trail or in Canada, not when I was a kid, even with my dad visiting out west where we did see anger. Trudeau says it's been a trying year for everyone and that he acknowledges the protesters' anger and frustration, saying it needs to be met with compassion. We're a country that is comfortable with differences. We have to listen to each other. The Liberals had no event scheduled for Saturday. 
But that didn't stop several anti-vaccine protesters showing up at another leader's campaign stop. The much quieter hecklers greeted the new Democrats in Sudbury and at one point tried to stall a campaign bus. Both Conservative leader Erin O'Toole and NDP leader Jagmeet Singh condemned those who stopped Trudeau's event from going ahead. No one should have to cancel an event because they're worried about a danger to the safety of people coming out to a political event. That should not happen. We're a democracy. We should be having a healthy and respectful debate of ideas. The New Democrats are on campus at the University of Sudbury, promising to help students by immediately removing all interest from federal loans and forgiving student debt. Campaigning on the East Coast, Aaron O'Toole met with locals in Fredericton, New Brunswick to unveil his party's plan to tackle the cost of living by lowering food prices, penalizing price fixing and bringing in legislation on open banking. A Conservative government will stand up to corporate Canada and reject any mergers that substantially reduce competition that will lead to higher prices. Focus shifted from pledges to protesters after O'Toole was questioned why Conservative supporters and volunteers were part of the hostile crowd at Trudeau's cancelled event. If they were, they will no longer be involved with our campaign. Full stop. And from myself right through to any volunteer, I expect professionalism, I expect respect. Miranda Anthesol, Global News. In health matters, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control recommends getting your flu shot before the end of October. A new report from the CDC says all the flu vaccines available this year will protect against four different strains of the flu virus. Health officials say that with COVID-19 and the flu possibly spreading at the same time this winter, getting a flu shot may help reduce the stress on health care systems. The Federal Drug Administration is warning heart patients that certain electronic devices may interfere with implanted pacemakers and defibrillators. The agency says it looked into the issue after getting reports that newer smartphones and watches were affecting the function of these medical devices. Researchers found magnets in these phones and watches triggered settings in pacemakers, which could cause serious harm to patients. But this can be prevented by keeping electronics at least 15 centimeters away from the devices. That's why the FDA is now recommending that patients not carry their phones in a pocket close to their pacemaker. And coming up next, preparing for Hurricane Ida. In the neighborhood of 140 miles per hour. How people in the U.S. Gulf Coast are bracing for what's barreling towards them. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Hey, do you know someone who lost a ring in Victoria? Police found one and are hoping to return it to the owner. We'll have details on that in just a moment. But first, residents in states along the northern Gulf of Mexico are bracing for the worst with Hurricane Ida set to make landfall tomorrow. Those who haven't hunkered down in shelters in Louisiana were on the move today, trying to drive to safety, jamming interstates and highways heading out of town. It was just as chaotic for those trying to catch a flight. Long lineups could be seen at Louis Armstrong International Airport in Kenner, Louisiana, as people tried to evacuate before the storm lands as a potentially dangerous Category 4 storm. Bracing for an intensifying Ida. This is a very dangerous storm, and we will and will possibly bring life-threatening impacts. 
As the hurricane gathers strength, it's all hands on deck in Louisiana. I'm going to try to sandbag my mom's house and hopefully we can ride it out. Everybody packing up, getting out. Where forecasters predict it will make landfall late Sunday, 16 years to the day after Hurricane Katrina. And we've gone through this. We know how to do this. And our residents know how to be calm. Mississippi also on alert. And President Joe Biden briefed by FEMA. That we have to do everything we can to prepare the people in the region and make sure we're ready to respond. It comes as COVID cases soar in the South. The storm now threatening to increase strain on hospitals as they bring on more staff and bulk up supplies. The fact that we're still in a pandemic makes this much more difficult for everyone, but the pandemic isn't going to leave just because it's more inconvenient. The message, get vaccinated against COVID and get ready for Hurricane Ida, a potential natural disaster on the horizon amid an ongoing pandemic. Sarah Dolliffe, NBC News. Well, our thoughts, of course, go out to everybody who's fleeing Hurricane Ida as it sets to make landfall tomorrow. Right now, though, let's focus in mm-hmm. on our local forecast, bringing in Kasha Badurka. Kasha, what do we have in store? Oh, my goodness. Well, we've got beautiful weather along coastal sections. I mean, just look at it right now from the Wall Center Tower Cam. We have mostly sunny skies still at this point, 20 degrees. We did reach our daytime high that was expected, 21 degrees near the water. And it was an awesome one today at Kitts Beach. Look at that at the Kitts Pool, I should say. John took this. He said, you know, I've never seen so many outdoor weddings on the outside in Vancouver on a Saturday. And I said, where are those pictures? We'd love to see those. In any case, tomorrow's going to be another beauty of a day. We've got 25 degrees. It's going to be for inland sections, but it will be feeling pretty hot. With the humid axis, it's going to be feeling closer to about 29 or 30 degrees. Uh, closer to the water, obviously a little bit cooler at 21 degrees. Now, I want to take your attention to the upper-level flow chart. At this point, high pressure continues to be dominant for the southern half of the province, but then Monday we start to see a dip, an upper-level trough. This is our only opportunity for some rain over the southern half of the province, so we are hoping for that. It's only a 30% for uh, chance for a lot of us so for the most part it's just going to be a cloudy day but hoping for a few sprinkles on that uh, on that day on our Monday because then high pressure rebounds and then we are looking forward to an extended period of hot or at least sunny weather not hot I want to show you your temperatures actually this is the one good thing so Kelowna central Okanagan is going to be above seasonal over the next few come Tuesday we will be below seasonal at 22 degrees but it will be dry over here Metro Vancouver Also, we're looking uh, forward to some below seasonal conditions beginning Monday, and that's when we're going to be mostly cloudy come Monday with that 30% chance of showers. This is your Sunday morning, so still the potential for a few showers over coastal sections, the north coast, then that should be tapering off to just mostly cloudy skies, and the extreme north is looking at some active weather in the form of rain. Could even get a thunderstorm in the northeast of the province, Fort Nelson, that's going to be for tomorrow afternoon, but for the most part, the eastern half is going to be looking up to to a sun cloud mix tomorrow. 19 in Prince George. It's going to be hot across the southern half, though. 28 degrees for you in Kelowna under sunny skies. 28 Castle Guard. 29 in Kamloops. And we're going to start to clear out for you in Vailmount. Here's a look at what to expect over coastal sections. It's going to be a pleasant day. 21 to 25 degrees. We mentioned that under partly cloudy skies. But for the most part, it will be a little bit sunnier tomorrow than it was today. And here's your long range from Metro Vancouver. There right. you go. Thanks so much, Kasha. Well, Victoria police are looking to reunite a found ring with its owner. 
the department tweeting this photo of a ring on the sidewalk in Victoria. They don't have any other details, but the ring is a band with two stone hearts on it. Victoria police are hoping someone will recognize it so they can return it to its rightful owner. Their file number, if you've got a pen and paper handy, is 21-34617. It is a beautiful ring. Kasha, you've got yours on, right? I know. I was... <laughs> Let's double check. All is well. <laughs> All the ladies like the ice. Is that what they call it, the ice? <laughs> I think that's I the hip. That's what the kids crooks call saying. it. I mean, it's just a nice diamond. Yes, exactly. All right, Barry's here, of course. Uh, what do you have coming up in sports? Well, the Lions are on the field right now in Ottawa. It's raining cats and dogs there, but the Lions are actually playing uh, one of their best games of the young season. Finally got the offense kick-started, so we'll have highlights of that. Game is almost over. And the Whitecaps, of course, they fired their head coach, Mark DeSantos, yesterday. We'll hear from the players for the first time today. All right, looking forward to that. Thanks, Barry. Also ahead, paramedic positions for peak hours. We have increased staffing in every station in the north. The permanent changes to Northern BC's emergency service model and whether it's enough to solve rural staffing challenges. Provincial government has promised to hire more people in emergency health services throughout BC, especially in the wake of the significant staff shortages during this summer's deadly heat dome. Now communities are starting to see that happen, including northern BC, where more paramedics are set to be working in that region. Caden Fanshaw of CKPG News has more. As these paramedics stock up their ambulance, the government is also stocking up the amount of others just like them here in northern BC. We're really pleased to announce that we're adding um, many uh, part-time, regular part-time and full-time positions and increasing the staffing in a great number of stations across the north and in Prince George. Eight more regular paramedic positions have been added here in Prince George with shift hours focused on peak demand times in the city. In turn, staffing an extra ambulance plus two more. But the new positions include pretty much every in any town around us too. We have increased staffing in every station in the north. Um, you mentioned Bear Lake and Mackenzie. They are each getting four regular part-time paramedic positions, ensuring they're staffing there seven days a week. The key words here are regular full-time. A big difference from the mostly on-call status before for paramedics, which comes with less than desirable hourly wages. Burns Lake, Chetwin, Houston, Fort St. James, Fort Nelson and Vanderhoof are all moving to 24 hours, seven days a week staffing. Yeah, we've seen incredible increases in staffing in Prince George uh, and needed, well needed for a long time. But across the north, like it's unheard of to see this many positions being added at once. And, you know, I, I got to give credit to the government uh, when, when, when they were faced with some significant backlash and concerns about their capacity and the ability to respond. Uh, in July, the minister really stepped up very quickly dealing with a lot of other crises and put resources into the ambulance service. To sum all of this up, there are still some kinks to work out, but it's a big step in the right direction. And have we done enough? I don't think if anybody has to wait for an ambulance, we can say that that's acceptable. But but when you talk to the paramedics and the locals there, when they say this is the biggest improvement, I agree with that. I've been in 33 years in the province and I've never seen this much of an improvement in once. Caden Fanshaw, CKPG News. And still ahead, pigs in Peachland. Why this sanctuary has found a new home and the story behind some of its hooved residents next.
Global BC and 980 CKNW are proud supporters of the Parkinson Superwalk. Join the Parkinson Society BC for an engaging virtual Superwalk experience that supports the life-changing programs, support services, educational resources, and advocacy that the Parkinson's community relies on. Head to Britannia Mine Museum to see the Connected by Copper exhibit. Learn about the protective qualities of copper and how it is entwined in all of our daily lives. Book your visit in advance at BritanniaMineMuseum.ca. If you wanna know, it's on the hub. If you wanna show, it's on the hub. If you wanna go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's back on another busy night in sports, and we're talking about the BC Lions again for their second game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lions uh, looking for their second win on the road for uh, game number four. Thanks, Neetu. The uh, Lions looking for that second victory of the young season tonight in Ottawa. The Lions also looking for some offense. Mike Riley has not had a touchdown pass the past two games, and the Lions have struggled just to get to 20 points, which usually won't get it done in the CFL. Rick Campbell was the Red Blacks' head coach the first six seasons of existence in Ottawa, making his return as Lions' sideline boss. Lions' offense with another stuttering start, but in the second quarter, Shaq Cooper rips off a 30-yard run. Again, the Lions drive stalls in the red zone, but a field goal put him up 6-3. Later in the second, Riley perfectly uh, delivering the ball to Lucky Whitehead, but right through his hands, stalls another drive. But Whitehead makes up for it. Tough catch in traffic right there, gets the ball inside the five, and this time they do get in the end zone. Riley sneaks it across for the touchdown, his third straight game with a one-yard plunge touchdown. 12-6 12-6 lines at the half, and they had 248 yards offense, so much better. Ottawa's offense is really bad. Not one offensive TD through two games. Matt Nichols picked off here by Jordan Williams, and he will return it to the Ottawa 45, led to another field goal, 15-6 Lions. Heavy rain in Ottawa. That should help these offenses, huh? 15-12 Lions after three. Fourth quarter, Matt Nichols scrambling. Look at this. Runs into his own 300-pound lineman and goes down. Officially a sack for the Lions, but sad sack for Ottawa. And moments later, Riley to Javon Katoy, who juggles it but hangs on and takes it in for the 46-yard touchdown. First TD of the year for the former Langley Ram. And what a relief that's got to be for Riley in the offense. Into the end zone via the pass, 22-12. Lions defense also coming up big. T.J. Lee stuffs the run on third and short. It's a turnover. The Lions get the ball back, and this has just gone final. The Lions win it 24-12, evening their record at 2-2. They get the bye next week. The uh, Whitecaps are back at it tomorrow night at BC Place against Real Salt Lake. It'll be their first match since Mark DeSantos was axed by Axel Schuster yesterday. Schuster is hoping this is the wake-up call the team needs to tighten up defensively and make a playoff push. Today at training, the firing was still fresh on the minds of everyone. We are all sad when our friends get relieved by their position but at the same time we need it's it's the world that uh, that we live on and uh, we know that next game next tomorrow there's a game next week there's another game is the world of soccer is so quick so they've been really good in uh, like kind of turning page and let's say helping me and the other member of the staff trying to do to do our best tomorrow you know there's a little guilt through the locker room obviously we're the players on the field we're in charge of making sure they're his plans and his philosophies come to life and that we get the results in moments like that. You know, um, it's just as much on us as it is on him. And, um, you know, we take responsibility as well. Our goal is just to turn it around uh, tomorrow. 
All right, Women's World Hockey Championships, Canada-Germany in the quarters. Captain Marie-Philippe Poulain back in the Canadian lineup after missing that 5-1 win over the Americans. This was one-way traffic. Just two minutes in, Melody Daou, nice fake, and pass across to Ashton Bell, who taps it in. Canada expected to rout the Germans, and they did. Two minutes later, Natalie Spooner makes it 2-0. Initial shot blocked, but she converts her own rebound. And 2-0 Canada after just four minutes in this one. And then just as a power play ends late in the first, it's Brianne Jenner banging in a loose puck from the slot. And it was 3-0 Canadians after one second period. More from the red and white. It's Natalie Spooner in the slot. She will unleash the wrister to the corner. Her second of the night, Canada goes on to win at 7-0. 51-3 were the shots on goal. Canada will play either the Czech Republic or Switzerland in the semis. Round three of the BMW Championship from Baltimore, second FedEx Cup playoff tournament. Bryson DeChambeau shot 12 under 60 yesterday, just missed a 59. Very rarely do players follow up those ultra-low rounds with another, but after eagling the par-5 fourth, he drives the short par-4 and makes another one. Back-to-back eagles, six under on the front, had a four-shot lead at one point. But Big Bryson had a big stumble on the back nine after finding the water on 12 and making bogey. His tee shot on 13, more agua, a double bogey for DeChambeau. And while that's going on, Patrick Cantley from 35 feet drains the birdie and that four-shot lead is gone. Cantley and DeChambeau co-leaders at 21 under through three rounds, three shots clear of third. Canadians Corey Connors and Mackenzie Hughes way back. Connors minus seven. Hughes is minus six. All right, scuffling Blue Jays need to catch fire. They are slipping out of the wild card race. Now six and a half back thanks to just four wins in their past 14 in Detroit tonight. Jays' bats have gone silent, but starting pitching has been awesome. Rookie Alec Manoa, the former Vancouver Canadian, strikes out Miguel Cabrera, who was his childhood idol. Five Ks through five uh, shutout innings for Manoa. Finally in the sixth, Jays get on the board. Alejandro Kirk. Solo shot, runs hard to come by, but they got one. Detroit came back to tie it, but in the 10th, Corey Dickerson, clutch hit to left, and here comes Vladdy, stumbling around, sliding in, head first, safe at the plate. Blue Jays lead 3-2. They are now in the bottom of the 10th. EPL action, defending champion Manchester City. Putting the boots to Arsenal, who all of a sudden are really, really bad. Ilkay Gundogan with the seventh-minute goal was the winner. Man City piles on 5-0. Arsenal off to its worst start ever. 0-3, zero goals, nine against, dead last. Man City now 2-1. And And we've got Liverpool and Chelsea from Anfield. Both teams 2-0 to start the young season. Blues strike first off the corner. Excellent looping header from Kai Havertz. Chelsea... Up a goal on the road, but late in the first half after a handball call in the box, Mo Salah from the penalty spot, one of the best in the world at converting, and he hammers it in. Liverpool and Chelsea battle to a one-all draw. And Bundesliga, Robert Lewandowski and Bayern Munich taking on Hertha Berlin. Alfonso Davies down the left side, perfect ball to Thomas Muller. 1-0 Bayern, Davies will hop on a plane to Toronto to join Canada's national team for World Cup qualifying tomorrow. They'll play Honduras Thursday in Toronto, so a busy week for Alfonso. Bayern dominated, as they often do. 
Beautiful ball movement here. Leroy Sané to Lewandowski for the tap-in to make it 4-0. And then off the corner, Lewandowski again heads it in for the hat-trick. He's got 15 Bundesliga hat-tricks in his career as Bayern Munich thump Hertha Berlin 5-0. And that is it for sports. Back to you. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. And we'll be right back with the story behind a sanctuary for pigs and why their new Okanagan home will also mean a better life. Well, they're not going to market, so these little piggies need a new home. Oh, yes. Aw, what's not to love about pigs? Stars Piggly's Wigglies has been welcoming surrendered pigs and farm animals since 2013. They started in Kelowna, but with 26 pot bellies, two chickens, a rooster and two ducks, well, let's just say any further growth was stymied. So they hoofed it down the road to Peachland and to greener pastures. I got my first pig in 2012 just because I wanted just a pig, right? So I did my research, got a pig, and sadly she died in 2012. So then I didn't want another pig. But then the same people that I got her from said, well, we're having another litter in February. So come and get one then. So I went and got one then. And then I just went and got him a buddy. And then it just grew from there. Glee's open house goes tomorrow from 10 to 4 in Peachland. Volunteers and donations are also welcome. They are too cute. They so. seem friendly. They do grunt a lot. I know that. They do indeed. Just their way of Great sound. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what else I like the sound of? Hearing ah. that we are going to see some more summer-like sunshine. Yeah, for the last weekend of August, here we go. We do have plenty of sunshine for tomorrow. Temperatures around seasonal. All right, we'll take it. Thanks so much, Kasha and Barry, and thank you all as well. We'll be back for Global News at 11 with Jordan Armstrong. Have a great night.